I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Oh, I hope you're having a great week. It's been uh, it's been nice here. It's been good weather. I'm out in Colorado Springs, just at the base of the uh, at Pikes Peak, snow-capped mountain in the middle of, uh, towards the end of May, actually, and that's just wrong. Uh, I'm a Texas boy. I grew up in Texas, and snow is supposed to occupy two weeks in Jan- sometime between January and February, and then it's supposed to be gone. Now, if you've ever lived up in the Great White North, you know, I've lived in, I've been, I'm like Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere. I've been in New Hampshire, uh, and uh, that was not, I don't plan on doing that again. It was very cold. I moved there in January. It was poor planning on my part. Uh, so I've lived there. I've lived in Kentucky. I've lived uh, in one of the coldest winters in Kansas. Uh, and so, you know, I, I get it. I understand that it does get cold and snow at other times, but th- it's May. It's almost the end of May, and there's snow on top of the mountain, and it's still in the 50s. The high for today is in the 50s, and this is just, this is, uh, this is beyond my comprehension. Uh, so, but, but it's lovely. It's lovely. I'm out here in the middle of the Piney Woods. Uh, I've, if you've been watching Facebook, I've been on my hammock reading a, just a fabulous new book, and we're going to be talking about that book today. And not only that, I'm going to be giving a copy of this book away. Uh, it's called Keep Your Kids Catholic by Mark Carterinella. Uh, he is out of the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph. He's got a fascinating story. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, but first, but first, today we're talking about uh, catching the faith. You know, what, what was a practice that you did in your home growing up that, that just made the faith for you, that helped it come alive for you. Uh, my, my wife talks about every Advent. They've, they live out on 11 acres just out. That's where we're visiting right now. Uh, out, what what's that? East, out east of Colorado Springs on the plains. Half in the plains, half in the Black Forest. It's gorgeous. But uh, they have a, a little barn there, a historic barn that's been, uh, gosh, I don't even know how old it is. Uh, but it, it used to house a, a, a granary, not a granary, the, 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 the mill. It had the mill in it. It was pretty, uh, still got a lot of the equipment in it. It's pretty neat. Uh, but growing up, during Advent, every year, uh, every night, they would go out to the barn uh, and sit around a little table and have the Advent wreath every night and do uh, readings from Scripture around this Advent wreath. And, you know, it's a little thing. It's cold. Uh, it took some effort. You got to get the kids bundled up, specifically when they're little, and you got to keep them occupied. And then, uh, th- what they would do is, when they got to the end of it, one of the kids would get to blow out the candle, and then everyone else would have to go to bed in utter silence. You couldn't talk after Advent because you know it's Advent. And we've adopted that practice. We don't have the barn that we go out to, but we love that idea of setting apart that time of the year. Uh, or setting apart any specific time of the year, because the, the church gives us all kinds of different seasons, right? Right now we're in ordinary time, but there's also Lent and Easter and Advent and Christmas, and then various and sundry uh, feasts in between. Uh, and so to set those things apart and to make them memorable, to give them their own character, even for kids at a very, very young age, 
in fact, this came up, uh, this conversation type came up on uh, Mike Allen's Facebook. Of course, Mike Allen is another host on Breadbox Media. He's got uh, a two-hour show early, early in the morning, uh, specifically if you don't live in Eastern Time Zone. But luckily, they're all podcasts. Uh, you can get those over at breadboxmedia.com. But he was talking about this on his Facebook, and he, he posted this um, this article that I saw a few weeks back about the, this church, this Lutheran church, that put uh, right up front, over to the, the side, on Mary's side, right? Because that's where it would belong, I guess. Uh, of course, they don't have Mary's side, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they have a little play area that they put up so that kids could go over and keep themselves occupied during the church service. And they were saying, you know, it teaches everyone uh, that kids are important and uh, it keeps the kids, they want to come to church and it gives them a place to be where they can be occupied. And Mike was asking, what do you think about this? Uh, And I have a very definite response because I grew up in, in the church where, you know, we had children's church and then you went to youth group and then, you know, there was always something to entertain you. Every step of the way, there was something to entertain you. And in doing that, uh, specifically now that we've become Catholic, you know, when when I was working in the Protestant church, Kristen had the kids to herself in the pew, and uh, that was a little hard because I was working uh, for the church. I was leading the music. I was not sitting with them. And so we sent our kids to the nursery. Uh, We did it for, gosh, uh, Israel was three when we came into the church. So uh, we've been doing that for a while. And then, um, then when we came into the Catholic Church back in 2011, we continued to do that because we wanted to get we wanted to understand the mass for ourselves before we tried to bring the kids into it. And we're thinking, you know, three's just too young. Uh, well, time goes on, and maybe we were Catholic about a year, and we had all the kids in with us, and you know, they're going to make some noise a little. But we began to instill in them this idea that this is a different kind of place. You know, we would, we would model for them and show them specifically that we genuflect to the tabernacle. You know, uh, I didn't know when, beforehand, before I was Catholic, that we're not bowing to the front, we're not bowing to the altar, we're not bowing to the crucifix. Rather, when we genuflect, we, and genuflect is just a fancy word for bending our knee before we sit down in our pew, right? Uh, I didn't know that when we genuflect, we're genuflecting to the manifest presence of God in the tabernacle, the, the, the host itself that's been consecrated and has become the body, blood, soul, and divinity. So we believe that Jesus Christ, uh, King of the universe, is manifestly in our presence, right? And so we, we as we come into the, the sanctuary, as we come in and before we go into our pew, we we model for our children. We show them that we genuflect. We get their attention, and we ask them to do it with us. And we say, "That's Jesus up there." And we point, and you know, for them, they're in the middle of naming things, right? Oh, dog, cow, a house, giraffe, bug, bug, right? Because I've got girls, um, <laughs> uh, and girls and boys. But the girls are, are a little bit more terrified of the bugs than the boys. Uh, and so they're in the middle of naming things. And so for them, there's no sense of cognitive dissonance to say, oh, that tabernacle up there, Jesus is in there because they don't have another concept for it. And so they're taking these things on faith. Now, later, they're going to have to put some, some understanding to it, but they're not at that place right now and they don't need to be at that place right now. Right now, we're giving them the foundation. And so uh, we take that moment and we, 
we talk about the tabernacle. We tell them that we never pass in front of the tabernacle with a candle lit without bowing to it. We never, we, and we give them this sense of wonder that the church has provided for us. We always sit right up at the front because they, um, as much as we can, because it keeps their attention when they see uh, the, the altar boys or, or the altar girls, whoever, carrying the candle, uh, following the deacon over to the ambo uh, for, for the gospel reading. There's movement. There's things to catch their attention. There's the bells. There's the, all of this visceral, sensual uh, stimuli, right, the, pertaining to the senses uh, that, that captures their interest. And as a parent, I'm looking at this saying, if I were to have over here this place where they, uh, they're occupied and they've got their nice little uh, play area and we're teaching everyone else that the kids are our future, we're teaching our kids that church is only good as long as they're entertained, right? Uh, if, so we as a family, we don't even bring uh, books or things for them to play with. Uh, for a while, we gave them rosaries, but those turned into like uh, whips. They'd whip them around until they hit somebody, and we'd like, well, well, we'll do something different now. Uh, and so, you know, I don't expect, and Kristen doesn't expect, that our, uh, our two-year-old is going to actually kneel and stay kneeling for the whole consecration. Right now, we just want him to be off the pew and quiet during the consecration. And that's what he's learning. He's learning that this is a different place. And, and really, once you have multiple children, it's a lot easier because they see all of their siblings doing this. You're like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be quiet right now. And then so then the three-year-old, the four-year-old, they start to kneel. They don't necessarily understand why. They start to kneel. They start to fold their hands. They start to get the sense of the, uh, the posture of the service. And yeah, they don't understand everything perfectly. Yeah, they might understand something a little bit better if they went to Children's Liturgy of the Word or if they went to Children's Church or if they had the play area up front, something on their level. But here's the thing. Is Mass on your level? Is Mass on my level? We all are approaching God as little children. We're trying to get as much of it as we can. We're trying to understand the, the vastness of His mercy, the vastness of the gospel, we're trying to understand what it means for the God of the universe to, to inhabit a little host and then to give it to us as food. And so my response to that idea of having uh, this thing up front uh, was, was simply, it steals from our children the ability and the opportunity for them to wonder at the rhythms of the liturgy, to wonder and to, to be overcome with the beauty of those things, which will help them as they grow in their faith, help keep them Catholic. And that's going to be our conversation. When we return, we're going to be talking with Mark Carteranella about his new book, Keep Your Kids Catholic. Uh, got, it's a great book. I can't wait to give it to you. We're going to give that away later in the show. Uh, join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. I want to know what you think. What are some practices that you do to keep your children engaged in the faith? We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. Oh, we got a great show for you today. We're talking with Mark Carteranella. He's currently out of the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, not to be confused with the Archdiocese of Kansas City. It's on the other side. Uh, in fact, the larger side of the city, if I'm uh, correct. Yeah. Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas is, City itself. Yeah. Um, Kansas yeah. City itself. Kansas City, Kansas is a small little place. Uh, right. and, and you've got a, a just a a great diocese there. Dino Durando is a, a co-worker of yours. We had him on the show just uh, probably early October, right after uh, right after the Pope was in Philadelphia. If you want to catch that show, of course, you can always go to our archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. We're talking with Mark about his brand new book, Keep Your Kids Catholic. Uh, and I tell you, I read uh, a lot of books, and I'm really taken with this uh, this book of yours, Mark. Uh, I I got sent uh, a copy, a review copy from Ave Maria Press. They were very gracious in that. And as soon as I saw it sitting on the top of the stack, I'm like, oh, we're going to have to have this interview. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we got you in as quick as we could, um, just finishing up with the things we'd already planned. And I delved into this quite a bit. And I'll tell you what uh, I love about this book. Uh, One, it, well, one, you deal with sociology, which I love. Uh, and so oh, yeah, cool. you, you dealt with the, the Christian Smith, uh, sociology study back in, uh, right, right. The, about 10 years ago. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit here in a moment, but I love the practicality of this. So you give us all this information, but you don't assume that we know anything. <laughs> and so, right, that's, and that was, yeah, that was where I was trying to go for. Yeah. So you give us this homework at the end of every chapter and I'll tell you, my wife and I, we were not raised Catholic. We were raised in the Protestant church. I came into the Catholic church in 2011, and, you know, I had this this great knowledge of Scripture and this great knowledge of theology from my background, but now I'm sitting here going, okay, now how do I, how do I live as a Catholic? How is this going to be different than before? And people would say, oh, well, you just go do Lexio Divina. I'm like, great. What's that? Right? I have no concept. Yeah of what you're talking about. And so you, you very clearly uh, lay everything out for your reader uh, and give us homework, step-by-step, step, easy homework to, to get ourselves in a place. And, and you focus really on the parent less than you do on the child. Really get us in a place where we are able to live our faith in a way that our children catch it. And I, I just absolutely love that. So this is going to be on my list of... Uh, uh, I've got two godchildren right now, uh, and this is top of the list. The next thing I'm sending to their parents, uh, and I think that if you're out there, if you've got a, uh, if you're a godparent, you need to send this to the the parents of your godchild, uh, just without question. So let's delve into this just a little bit. Tell me a little bit of your story because you right now you work for the archdiocese but that's not your story you you took a while to get there you took a while to get to this place where you are now encouraging the rest of us to avoid uh the pitfalls that you fell into early and that you were a a product of so enlighten us right so i grew up cradle catholic and uh like a lot of people i just sort of fell away after high school and um i went to Secular University, LSU, and I was really, I wanted to uh, to be in the Navy, be a Navy pilot. That was kind of the thing that was, was driving me, and nothing else really mattered to me. Um, 
So I did that. I, I got there and I had kind of left everything else behind. It just really wasn't relevant to me. You know, I didn't find anything in the Catholic faith that really spoke to me. That really, it, that was relevant for life, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I was driven by this goal and I, I finally got this goal and I still was, I was still restless. I didn't have, I, I, there was still something missing mm-hmm. and I couldn't quite figure out what that was. And so I started kind of, it's kind of funny, I guess now I started searching for meaning in life. You know, I, I, I went through Buddhism and I studied Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy and I ended up in the new age movement for a while and kind of in a crazy turn of events that I sort of talk about in the book, I ended up back in the Catholic church and I started, started studying real Catholic theology and it was everything that I was hoping for. And, and I, it just really had this, it spoke to my heart. It was, uh, it was human and, but it was transcendent at the same time. It was rich. It, it had depth and it was really this roadmap for life. That's right. I, I tell everybody that I, I thought from the very beginning that it was a roadmap for life. And, and I've been there ever since. So I got out of the Navy and <clears throat> I really wanted to study more. So I went to Franciscan University. I started off studying theology, but then really fell in love with catechetics, mm-hmm. studying how to teach the faith, and, uh, and then ended up in a, a job as a DRE in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, uh, you, you talk about you were brought back into the faith uh, by uh, Ricardo Montalban. So you, you, yeah. you, you've got this whole, uh, you know, uh, catechesis is a dish best served personably, right? Right, uh, right. The whole Wrath of Khan uh, connection there. <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it was this Fatima video that was narrated by Ricardo Multibon. And you can still find that, actually. Somebody told me that they can still find that on YouTube. It's recorded. You can still see this. And it was kind of old and, you know, because Ricardo's great. You know, right. He, he, <laughs> He's got this great voice. And, and you know, the, they talk about Fatima and they talk about how the visionaries, they saw hell. And that was the thing. It just really hit me right between the eyes. We had been studying all these different things and it never really occurred to me that there was a consequence to not mm-hmm. thinking the right way. And so uh, you know, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, if this is true, we're in big trouble. <laughs> We've got to figure out if this is real. And so that kind of started us on our journey. And, and we talk about it in the book, but that was the kind of uh, culmination of, of a long journey uh, that had sort of set me up to be receptive to this message, that I had found this restlessness. I had kind of ditched all of the Catholicism. I was looking for meaning in life. I was searching for different things, and I wasn't really finding exactly what I wanted. And then this message kind of hit at just the right time to say, hey, you need to think about something else. It woke me up and I was ready to receive this gift of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think uh, I would encourage and I do encourage in the book that every parent make their kids' souls this fertile ground for reception of this message because without that – it's really not going to go anywhere. You know, that's the whole thing that uh, we as parents are in this perfect position to be able to till the soil of our, our children's faith 
and make them receptive to God's invitations, personal invitation to them to enter into this life, to share his beautiful life with them. And he requires this response from them. And this response is the whole deal. It's what really will open up and activate their baptismal grace and, and bring them into a place where they can just receive God and have this faith. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Mark Carteranella, author of Keep Your Kids Catholic, available on Ave Maria Press. And, and you know, as a, as a parent, specifically talking about when we first came in and had just absolutely no clue, we, we uh, had enough faith background and other denominations to be able to instill in them a love for Jesus, but we had no idea uh, how to do it as a Catholic. And, you know, the, the, I think the studies out there that s- say that the second largest group of religious people in the United States are former Catholics. Right. And so something has, has not been working. The, the status quo of how we educate our children in the faith uh, sometime over the last uh, couple of generations has crumbled. And I think that there's a large part of it that stems from this idea of uh, specialization, right? We want to specialize everything. We, 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 if you have, a, if you have a, a heart problem, you go to the heart doctor, right? You, you don't go just right. to any doctor. You have a very specific, I'm going to send uh, my children, they need help in the faith, I'm going to send them to the faith experts. And so they're going to have that appointment. Of course, the faith experts, quote-unquote, are volunteers, Right, that may or may right. not have received any training whatsoever. They may have just been given a uh, a curriculum and said, "Here you go, plan a week ahead." Uh, but we've got this idea that if I just send them through the system, then uh, then I've done my due diligence, and uh, then they're going to turn out fine. Just like if I send them to the heart doctor, the the heart doctor is going to take care of the heart. The the faith, the catechesis te- teacher is going to take care of the catechesis of my child. So talk about. Uh, the the problems with this, and we'll bring in that sociological study, uh, mm-hmm. and what you see as the the solution, just real briefly. I think that part of the problem is that the, the the kind of education, the kind of catechesis that's going on in the Catholic schools and in the parish programs, is mostly about study. It's about the it's about you know facts, not necessarily theology, mm-hmm. but it's more fact based. And uh, there's this notion, and I think it's grown up in this kind of system, that if we baptize our kids and then we teach them what the truths of the church are, that that's going to be enough to set them on their way and they'll be fine. And maybe at some point that was okay, I, although I would, I would suggest, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, how in the 40s and the 50s that faith was so strong, but... It, the real truth is that it didn't stand up to the, the sociological and the cultural tidal wave that hit in the 60s. And uh, that wasn't able to really sustain that. So, you know, parents have this unique position to be able to really draw out that sort of response, and that faith that they're not getting in the Catholic school or in the parish school. We'll continue this conversation just after the break. We're talking with Mark Carteranella, author of the new book, Keep Your Kids Catholic. Join the conversation over on social media. You're listening to Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with Mark Carterinella. He's the author of a brand new book on Ave Maria Press called Keep Your Kids Catholic. We're going to be giving away a copy of that today. It's real easy. All you have to do to get it uh, is give me a call. That's right, 252-OTW-SHOW, 252-OTW-SHOW, and tell me something that you experienced in your childhood that your parents made uh, some practice of the faith very real to you, uh, or if you don't have one of those, then some practice of the faith that you are endeavoring to give to your children uh, to help them really grow firm in the faith. So give me a quick call over at uh, 252-689-7469. That's 252-OTW-SHOW. And tell me what that practice of faith is, and we'll get that book sent out to you courtesy of Ave Maria Press. Mark, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. So we talked a little bit about this sociological study that uh, that realizes uh, the lack in our specific way of educating our children today in the faith. You know, you, you mentioned that uh, people talk about the 50s as being such a, a strong time in the faith, even though it wasn't able to weather what came in the 60s and 70s. But, you know, I think part of the reason that we saw a stronger faith maybe is there weren't as many cultural challenges to it. But I think also, I think parents just intrinsically were more involved with their children at that time. Uh, maybe that's one of those pie in the sky, oh, that's the golden age, and we're projecting something on it that wasn't there. But that's the picture that I get is that there was a lot more uh, family unity at that point in time than we necessarily see today, where you've got the cell phones out at dinner table and nobody talks to one another. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that uh, families were uh, more cohesive. There was more of a family unit, and society... It, it supported that. It supported the family. It supported Christian values, and it, there weren't as many cultural challenges. And in a way, you know, that could be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 maybe it's forcing us now to think about the way we do religious education, the way we do family, and the way we uh, talk to our kids about the faith in a way that's making them could make them even stronger. Mm-hmm. So, so you talk about the sociological study, and uh, that was really an eye-opener for me because it made the point very strongly, this, this study by Christian Smith, that parents are the number one influencer. And, and you know, I, I kind of I wouldn't have thought of that mm-hmm. before. I, I would have thought, as he kind of talks about it a little bit, that, you know, experts will say, that uh, MTV and uh, Madison Avenue have got the, the attention of our kids and they've, they're going for their dollar and they're going for everything else. And so we don't have the control and maybe we shouldn't even have the control. Well, that's just ridiculous. And, and whether you like it or not, you are the number one influencer of your, of your child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by what you do and by what you don't do, you are giving them an education. And so it's it's very important for you to live the faith and to be a witness to it. Now, he brings up a term in that. I, I don't recall if you get to it in your book, but in that study with Christian Smith, he talks about that we're creating, instead of faithful Christians, we're creating people who adhere to the religion of therapeutic moral deism. This idea that if I am just kind to my siblings uh, and I'm kind to those people around me and I don't cause anybody any harm, then 
then I am a moral person and a good person, and that's all that's required. And, and so one of the things that I see you doing in here is being very intentional, providing us step-by-step, very intentional ways of creating and planting the seed of faith and not just of uh, crowd control and moral behavior. Right. And so whether that's uh, inoculating our children against therapeutic moral deism or whether that's giving us parents who may have been raised in therapeutic moral deism, right. it's giving us now the tools to say, okay, let's take this a step further. You know, we hear about people talking about, uh, quote unquote, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that mm-hmm. seems like uh, th- that language is so uh, vague and uh, nebulous. It's hard to really grab what does that practically, pragmatically mean? How does that manifest itself? And you get into that a little. And, and why don't you take us a moment of how to create uh, those moments of complete relatability in faith, taking a moment of maybe of crisis or of questioning with our children and infusing faith into that. Talk about a time where you've experienced that. So one thing I think is very important for families is to develop this culture of faith discussions with their children so that uh, they're in the practice of discussing problems and relating them to faith. Uh, part of that comes from studying the faith together. But you know, in studying the faith together, in learning about the faith together as a family, now you know what's on your kids' minds. So now they ask you questions. They come across different things happening with their friends or they hear about things on the internet or whatever and they come to you and you can answer these questions. You can get this opportunistic education which is very valuable because that's exactly what's on their mind. They're really interested in knowing the the answers to these questions if they're asking these questions. So that's a perfect time to come in and to give them these uh, these sort of have these conversations. That's like make it very relational. Yes, yeah, sort of. It sort of is. Yeah, have these conversations and uh, and you know and so doing that in in talking about what the church believes, what the church teaches, and how does that relate to your life? That's where things get real. When you can have these conversations and discussions and, you know, it's not just about saying, OK, well, you should believe this because the church teaches and you shouldn't do this because God says you shouldn't do that. Instead of doing that, saying, OK, well, you know, what is it that you're feeling and thinking? Let's talk about why this is important. And then as a parent, being a witness, testimony uh, of your own belief, of how you came to that belief, what things mean for you, what um, what how things affect you, how the faith affects you, all of that is so powerful because it takes it out of becoming just something that your parents say or something that the teacher says or something that's written in a book, but it's something that is lived. It's something that's real. Well, and it's vulnerable. I mean, you're you're inviting your right. children into your own experience of faith and allowing them to experience it vicariously until such time as they can appropriate it on their own. You've, yeah. got, you've got this quote in here. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the power of our witness and the power of a story. And I was anticipating we were going to move on from that, but then the book just kind of went that direction. So here we are. Uh, and you say this, human persons are moved to action, not by intellectual abstractions, but by personal influence and powerful example, as well as by engaging their imaginations with the concrete realities of life. 
What does that look like to engage our child's imagination with the concrete realities of life as it relates to the faith? So the concrete is very important in bringing out a faith that is real, that is lived, as opposed to an abstraction, which, you know, it's generalized, it's theological, it's just sort of like intellectual. Intellectual abstraction, while it has its place to understand theologically how things work in, 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 the, in the, the faith and in the, the larger picture of, of, of what we believe, it's important, but it tends to leave you a, a kind of a spectator. Uh, it's passive. It doesn't require anything of you. It doesn't move you. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't work to to bring you out of it. So, so in the spectator mode, um, you you just sort of like passively receive this teaching, and you just passively give an assent to it. And you know you can say, yeah, I believe that, whatever. But it's not real. And when you get into the concrete, the how this the things affect you as an individual, that's where you can be really affected by it. So how does that work? How does that? What does that look like? Instead of just saying, "Okay, um, how is this true?" It's like, "How is it true for you? What does that do for you? If if this is true, then what does that mean now? How should you live?" Uh, how should you treat that person? How what should you do in your free time? Uh, if if it's really true that God is judging us at the end of time by how we love our neighbor, well, what does that mean for all of us? You know, does that mean that we can just sit back and we can just say, well, you know, I'll give some money to a charity and I'm good to go, right? But when you see somebody in front of you who's in need and you don't respond to them. Is that enough? Right. You know, it, bringing it into the concrete, into the real, how it affects you as an individual, and and how it affects how how you relate to other people in their own reality, that that is what touches the heart, what moves people to action. You know, one of the the first commissions. You know, you got the Great Commission: go into all the world and preach the gospel. But the very first commission is all the way back in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, as God is talking to the people, and he says, And these words which I command you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, and you shall bind them on a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And it's this idea that faith is everywhere. We bring uh, conversations of faith into everything we do. We talk about it when we go to the store. We talk about how we treat one another equitably with the kind of things that we buy, with the kinds of things we don't buy, uh, with the way that we treat our neighbor. Everything we do, we bring in these questions and these conversations of faith to bring these concrete realities into the framework of how we live our lives and live the faith. We've been talking today with Mark Carteranella, author of the new book, Keep Your Kids Catholic, available on Ave Maria Press. Uh, Mark, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Listen, you need to buy this book. You need to go find it. Ave Maria Press, Keep Your Kids Catholic. If you know a parent who's got a kid, buy this book for them. Buy this book for yourself. It's excellent. Join us over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I am your host, Timothy Putnam. Oh, we got a giveaway. It's time to give it away. Listen, I want you to give me a phone call. Our new number, 252-OTW-SHOW. That's 252-689-7469. 252-689-7469. And we're going to give away a copy of Keep Your Kids Catholic by Mark Carterinella, courtesy of Ave Maria Press. And all you have to do is give me a call at that number, uh, which I'll give you again in a second, and tell me something that your parents did when you were growing up that made the faith real to you. Now, if you don't have that story, if you don't know what that is, then why don't you tell me uh, a practice that you do in your family to help make the faith real to your kids? We're going to take, even if you say, hey, I don't really have a whole lot, we've got to mass uh, when we can, uh, you're still in the drawing, right? And then I'm going to, by next week's show, uh, I am going to uh, randomly select one of those phone calls, one of those messages. I'm going to put that message up on social media. I'm going to get your information uh, so that I can then send you a copy of this book, Keep Your Kids Catholic by Mark Carterinella. Again, that phone number to leave that message about the practice of faith that either your parents did or that you did to help uh, really make the faith come alive to your children. Uh, that number is 252-689-7469, 252-689-7469. And we got a little bit of time left today, and uh, I want to give you some hope. If you're that parent and you have absolutely no idea how to get started, first of all, buy the book, because this book doesn't assume that you know anything. It starts you from the beginning and walks you all the way through of how to establish a, a strong faith life in your kids. I, I believe so strongly in this book. And, and I, I don't, you know, I, I, I like a lot of books. I talk about a lot of books with a lot of authors. But you know, if you've listened for any length of time, that I don't really push a book this strongly uh, all the time. But this book is really that good. So uh, what do you do? If you don't know anything, what do you do? Well, I want to start with this scripture. It's uh, from this last Thursday, uh, and it, it fit really well, I think, specifically with what I want to talk to you about today. It comes from the book of First Peter, and he says this, Beloved, first of all, I love how he starts that, because he's not coming as a, a finger-wagging teacher. He's not coming and saying, well, you've got to get your act straight or else. No, he's coming and he starts out and he says, Beloved. So already we're in a place that we can relax a little bit and realize this is someone who's on our side. And he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that through it you may grow into salvation, for you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're not expected to know this right up front. We're not expected to be able to teach it perfectly immediately. He's saying, allow yourself to grow. Give yourself permission to be built, and don't think that you have to have it all together as a parent right now. And he says, you're chosen. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What freedom there is in that to say, hey, you know what? All I need to do is to approach Jesus like an infant to long for the food that, that I, that's given to me through Scripture and through uh, the Eucharist 
through the sacraments. All I have to do is come and present myself like a little child and allow myself the permission to grow. Now, I love uh, writings from church history. I just do. I I think there's so much richness in them. And so I want to get to that today. And our reading today comes from uh, St. Augustine's Confession. And what's so interesting about this book, you know, I'd heard I'd heard about Augustine's Confessions forever, but uh, I'd never read them until recently, and, and I love it because he's got this whole book, this treatise, where his audience, because every everything that is written has an audience, his audience is God. And so he's he's writing it as if God is the person receiving the letter. And, and I love how he, he has to kind of do some gymnastics every once in a while because he's like, well, then I did this thing in my life. And of course, God, you're God, so you know that already. So he's trying to get around doing this exposition for everyone else who's reading it, eavesdropping in on his conversation with God. But for the most part, there's just some beautiful moments of prayer in here. And maybe that's a way that you could begin to express and understand your relationship with God is write him a letter, just like here we have in Augustine's Confessions. And he says this, You are great, Lord, and worthy of our highest praise. Your power is great, and there's no limit to your wisdom. Man, a tiny part of your creation wishes to praise you, though he bears about him his mortality, the evidence of his sin, and the evidence that you resist the proud. Yet this man, a tiny part of your creation, wishes to praise you. It is you who move man to delight in your praise, for you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Lord, help me to know and understand which is the soul's first movement, to call upon you for help or to praise you, or if it must first know you before it can call upon you. But if someone does not know you, how can he call upon you? For for not knowing you, he might call upon someone else instead of you. Or must you first be called on in order to be known? But Scripture says, unless they believe in him, how can they call upon him? And how shall they believe unless someone preaches to them? Those who seek the Lord will praise him. Seeking the Lord, they will find him. And finding him, they will praise him. Lord, let me seek you by calling on you. And let me call upon you, believing in you, for you have been preached to us. Lord, my faith calls upon you, the faith you have given me, the faith you have inspired in me by the incarnation of your Son through the ministry of your preacher. Further on, he says, Who will help me to find rest in you? Who will send you into my heart to inebriate it so that I will forget my evil ways and embrace you, my only good? What are you to me? Have mercy on me that I may speak. What am I to you that you command me to love you? and grow angry and threaten me with terrible punishment if I do not. Is it then a small sorrow not to love you? In your mercy, Lord my God, tell me what you are to me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. So speak that I may hear you. The ears of my heart are turned to you, Lord. Open them and say to my soul, I am your salvation. I will run after your voice, and I will lay hold of you, Do not hide your face from me. Let me see your face, even if I die. For if I see it not, I shall die of longing. That reading comes from the Confessions of St. Augustine, right there at the very beginning of the book. It's a great book, uh, maybe a little bit theological, a little bit philosophical. It's not necessarily the easiest book in the world to read, but if if you read classics in high school, it shouldn't be really all that difficult. 
Uh, and it just gives this beautiful picture of raising objections, like he did there in the middle, uh, who are you to me? Uh, and then answering them with, with such a, a comfort. And uh, today as we're thinking about, gosh, how do I raise my kids Catholic? How do I avoid the pitfalls that maybe I don't know how to get out of? There's comfort, one, uh, in that reading from Scripture, that we approach Jesus like little infants and allow ourselves to grow. And then there's great comfort in even questioning God and saying, who are you to me? And yet I'm restless without you, just like Mark talked about in his life uh, when he was away from the church. He was looking for meaning and couldn't find it. Our souls are restless, St. Augustine says, until they rest in you. So how, how do you start? How do you rest in God? There's so much uh, going around. You know, I don't know if you just now heard, but there was a storm that passed over here, and I could hear the rain in my, in my headphones. You might have heard it as well. In the midst of all the storms of life, how do we rest in God? I, I think part of this comes from making space for God. Uh, we, we have such busy lives. And, and so make space for God maybe by giving him five minutes in the morning. Uh, maybe you pull out and read the readings, the scripture readings of the day. Uh, maybe that seems daunting. Maybe you just sit for five minutes and say, uh, God, how am I going to face this day? Uh, I love this passage of scripture in uh, the Gospel of Mark, where a father is bringing his son to Jesus, and that this uh, this son is possessed uh, and is unable to speak and throws himself down and uh, throws him into the fire and tries to kill him. And, and this father's desperate. And he comes to, to Jesus and, and says, uh, you know, can you, can you help us? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father, oh, and I understand this being a dad, but the father comes and says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> it's like, you got it. Anything it takes, I believe. And if I don't believe, let's fix this, right? And sometimes that's how we have to come to Jesus uh, to say, you know, I, I get this. I, I grew up, I had this notional ascent to the faith. I grew up, uh, went through all of uh, the catechesis classes. They told me everything I was supposed to believe. I, I have this understanding that if I'm just a good person, it'll all work out. But, but that's not helping me right now. And so I come to you, Jesus, and I bring you my kids. I believe that you can do it. Help my unbelief. Maybe your church has adoration where you can spend, maybe you can only spend five minutes, but just sit in the silence and make space for God. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Don't forget to give me a call, 252-OTW-SHOW, 252-689-7469. Tell me about some practice of the faith, either that your parents did to make the faith real to you or that you do to make the faith real to your children. We'll be picking randomly. We'll be giving away that book, Mark Carterinella's new book, Keep Your Kids Catholic, available on Ave Maria Press. Well, Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See you next week.